Some drink champagne, some die of thirst. No way of knowing which way it's going. Hope for the best, expect the worst. President Obama said people living on the East Coast should not take this storm lightly. This is something to take seriously. Uh, we hope for the best, but we want to prepare for the worst. What is the greatest challenge facing the global economy now? The risk of a major global recession. Uh, we have problems out there, big problems, with the trade war, with possible risks of Iran exploding, various countries, uh, China, for example, possibly having a financial meltdown, and so forth. Any one of those risks could cause a repricing of risk in the global economy. The problem is worse because governments now have much less ammunition than they did in 2008-2009 to deal with uh, a crisis. How can businesses in the financial community prepare themselves, protect themselves against the possibility of a major global recession? The first thing is to stay liquid. Cut your leverage. Look at your balance sheets to make sure that there are no major mismatches there. Those are the problems that typically come up when there is a major repricing of risk and global downturn. And above all, don't panic. That could cause the next crisis. Thursday, May 7. Life in the times of the pandemic. 1.3 million cases in the U.S. and 77,000 deaths. Phase 1 or Phase 2 reopenings? What does that mean? Hope for the best and prepare for the worst. The U.S. equity market's at 2,900, the S&P 500. There's a divergence between the economy and the stock market. Federal Reserve and various other programs have put a lot of cash into the economy. If we accept as fact that that money's got to go somewhere, that's one of the reasons the equity market would be up. The second is optimism that we're opening back up, we're going back to work. And then finally, this is a V recovery. Well, what does that mean? You'll hear letters like V, U, L, and W. Let me just think through it for a minute. A V is straight down, straight back up. A U is down, up a little bit more slowly. An L is terrible, down and sideways. A W is the tricky one. Down, up, down, up. V is the most hopeful. That's why the stock market's up. W or L are the worst, obviously. But W is what you had after the Great Depression and four or five other times throughout our history as a nation. We're going to hear from a hedge fund manager with Hercules Investments in Los Angeles. They've had a very correct call. Some would call bearish, meaning negative on the marketplace. And they got it right. So we're going to hear all about that. He'll use a series of terms 
the first being the VIX, V-I-X. The VIX is a widely quoted index, and you can think of it as a, a measure of volatility, a mathematical measure of how far and how quickly the market moves up and down. It's a measure of volatility. You'll hear the term multi-standard deviation move, a statistical term that, again, has to do with the degree of movement and how out of the ordinary it is. Multi-standard deviation means out of the ordinary. Unlikely. What am I talking about when I say the market and the economy are diverging? We had unemployment numbers come out today, jobless claims today and tomorrow. Roughly 20% of the country is out of work. Think about that, 20% of the country. 34 million on the books out of work. 34 million people. Articles today in the New York Times and elsewhere that one in five mothers say their children are going to bed hungry. We've had poverty in the States always. That's what capitalism's all about. There's a pyramid. There are those at the top and those at the bottom. The question is always, how steep is that pyramid? The wider the bottom and the lower the height, the more fair the society is. The taller and the steeper the pyramid, the more narrow the bottom, the greater the disparities. The issues and the questions are, how do you take care of the people at the bottom, however that's defined? Social programs, health care, education. Bernie Sanders pushes, or is known to push at one end of the spectrum. And then there are the, what we used to call the free market laissez-faire folks that say, stay out of the way. 34 million people out of work. How many of those jobs are coming back? We don't know. But we are able to think about things like, when are you going back to a movie theater? When you go back to a restaurant, what does that look like? If you own a restaurant and you've gotten money from the PPP, you're good for two months to bring people back. What happens in week nine when you've been running at 75%, if you're lucky, or 50% of capacity, which means you're not making money, you're losing money. Do you lay folks off again? That's probably what happens. There are retailers and hotels that are filing for bankruptcy and probably won't reopen. What does that mean? What does it cost to actually reopen? There's optimism about getting back to work, but what are the additional costs? What if you're an airline and there's talk of shields, people wearing shields when they fly? or talk of removing the center seat in the airline, on the airplane. Ryanair, which I think is Europe's largest discount carrier, said out loud today, remove the middle seat, we're out of business. So there are costs, social distancing costs. We've talked about behavioral economics. Really what that means is how does the consumer act? Can we model that? And oftentimes we cannot. Warren Buffett, in the last episode we spoke of, comments he made about the Great Depression and not investing his money or keeping a lot of cash on the sidelines now because he just couldn't figure out what was going to happen next. 
yesterday, a gentleman by the name of Sam Zell, Chicago-based, used to own a piece of the Cubs, uh, has owned monster real estate companies, sold big companies to Blackstone. He's known as a distressed buyer, meaning he will buy in times like this. Gave a long interview. He also talked about the Great Depression, or his comment was, an entire generation was, quote, permanently scarred by the Great Depression. He went on to say that he has very little doubt that those of us that live through the pandemic will be permanently scarred. He doesn't know what's going to happen. He considers the near term to be the next two to four years. He's not buying. He doesn't know the answer yet. He thinks many people are like deer in the headlights. There isn't information, so we do nothing. That's actually an important concept. If you listen to real estate brokers, real estate agents, particularly residential, but also commercial, there's a lot of optimism. Prices aren't down very much, or listings are coming back on. That's the supply side. I frankly think that's ridiculous, you know, but that's neither here nor there at the moment. Zell talks about the, or points out the important thing, what we call price discovery. You don't really know what something is worth until it sells, until it trades. And what he is seeing right now is a lack of deal flow, meaning things aren't getting done. His view is that sellers are still stuck in prices from seven to eight weeks ago. In other words, they're, they still are dreaming that they're going to get the same prices they would have gotten eight weeks ago had they sold. Buyers, on the other hand, are looking for deep discounts. So there's not a lot getting done. No price discovery. It doesn't matter what the supply side looks like, meaning how many more units are for sale or buildings or homes. It's an indication of one thing or another, but until it trades, it's just, it's just another data point without a lot of meat. He went on to talk about the retail and hospitality industries. Overbuilt, and nobody knows what's going to happen to those assets next. It's a shock to our culture, shock to our system, how we go to sporting events, how we live, work. That's all going to change. We talked about the we work in the open environment. What happens there? Bank of Montreal has said that 80% of their workforce can work from home at least part of the time for the next, I believe, the rest of the year. Amazon says folks can work from home through October at least early October. Microsoft for another while as well. Facebook through the end of 2020. I reiterate, you've got an entire floor in an office building. You've now learned that your employees can work from home part of the time. Maybe you're worried about liability bringing them in as well. So you renegotiate your lease. I want a lower lease rate and I, need, and I don't need as much square footage. Those things take a long time to play out. A lot of money is coming to the market so far. It's great. It's supporting the functioning of markets. We get into trouble 
when markets don't function, when there isn't liquidity, when households and corporations don't have access to capital. If, if your credit card line gets cut, you don't have access to capital. If you're a corporation and your line of credit gets shut down, you don't have access to capital. That shuts business down. We don't know what's going to happen. We do know that money is coming to the market. It's enough for about 60 to 90 days, just using the PPP. You've got the trillions of dollars in Fed buying power, which is good because it keeps the markets oiled, right? They're not going to freeze up. So that's good. But it's very, very early still. So this optimism in the marketplace, in my opinion, it's misplaced. And we could be in for very, very ugly times. I hope I'm wrong. One more example Sam Zell outlined. They built a bridge from Southern California to the Tijuana airport. It opened five years ago, four and a half years ago. About three million people a year. Very successful. Business is down 90% right now. Not that much of a surprise, right? People aren't traveling. Zell says, we're going to survive. We will return, but don't know when and at what rate. One more person to talk about, Larry Fink of BlackRock, sister company to Blackstone. Blackstone happens to be the company that Sam Zell sold one of his prime assets to some years back. Interesting coincidence. But Larry Fink runs the world's largest asset manager. You buy a mutual fund or ETF, they're the largest in the country, largest in the world, excuse me. He also is on President Trump's council. He's involved. He made some very negative comments as well yesterday. Fink said that in discussions he's had with bankers, he believes that corporate bankruptcies are going to skyrocket. My words. He also thinks that all the money that we've been spending is going to have to be paid for and paid for in the form of higher corporate tax rates. They rise from 21 to 29%. What does that do to an election year argument of I lowered your taxes and made the economy better? Fink then went on to talk more about behavioral economics and the impact on the American psyche. Another person who believes we've been scarred and there will be long-term changes. He took it a little step further and talked about changes to the social order. We'll see if he elaborates on that further, but big structural issues. When you hear people like Fink, Larry Fink, Sam Zell, Warren Buffett, and numerous other strategists, all talking about the behavior, the behavior issues, what they're really driving at is the consumer society. We've heard forever that America is a consumer-driven society. Even if we rise out of this, and we will, but we rise out and consumer behavior changes so we spend 10% less, 15% less, we become savers, right? We've gotten scared, a little more conservative. That has broad long-term implications. That's what all these fellows are talking about. So now we're going to hear from our guest Portfolio manager, research strategist. Uh, on the line here, we have Kaushik Saha from Hercules Investments in Los Angeles. 
Hercules is an alternative investment manager using quantitative techniques. And Kaushik, if we could begin, just with maybe explain what that means. Yes, Tom. Thank you. Great to be on the show. When we say alternative, we mean that we invest in areas of the market that are not traditional, and that we don't focus on bonds and stocks, but we try and profit from areas outside of uh, these sectors. And specifically, our main main mainstream strategies, they uh, the flagship strategies, they try and profit from market uncertainty and the volatility in the markets that arise from market uncertainty. In these markets, what we do is we invest in options on equity market indices like the S&P 500, the NASDAQ 100, mm -hmm. and uh, we use you know, models to determine uh, basically inflection points in the markets and then try and profit from them using models that are back-tested, that have demonstrated profitably, uh, profitability consistently. And we are unique and differentiated as managers uh, because while most managers are hurting uh, in this environment, uh, these are very profitable days uh, for us. Yeah, and then profiting is one aspect. And then what we also do is use our expertise in monet monetizing volatility to also hedge uh, traditional portfolios from downside risk. That's another uh, you know, key strength of ours, Tom. And do you offer these products, thank you, to institutional as well as retail investors? And if it's to retail, on which platforms? Yes. So uh, right now, uh, we offer our services to institutional investors, RIAs and intermediaries, and we will shortly expand to institutional. And uh, with individuals and high net worth uh, clients, they are managed as separate accounts that the clients would have with our custodian. And the custodian would have, the client would have full control of our, their accounts and give us trading authority on it. And you spoke of uh, volatility. So uh, let's just, if we use the traditional, the, the, the widely known VIX as the measure. That's right. I think it closed, closed out today around 34. Uh -huh. And the, ra the range the last year is 11 to 85, plus or minus. The S&P 500 closed out what, around 30, around 2,900 today with yes. a range of 2,200 to 3,400 the last year, which means we are 15% off the highs and roughly 32% off the lows we said a month, month or so back. Yes. How do you view the tape currently? Sure. Actually, I'll point out that, yeah, the VIX uh, did that get that high. And uh, so what's happened is I consider the effect on the market through the cycle in three phases. One is when basically the news of the virus itself spread through the economy, which caused a lot of the funds and investors who were positioned in a crowded trade that was just 100% long or fully exposed to the markets to bolt for the exits. 
And so this herd effect caused the markets to plunge dramatically. Uh, and it was was a, that a, was that a multi-standard deviation move or in line? No, I would say uh, given the speed of the drop, uh, it was certainly within the time frame a multi-standard deviation move, and the VIX certainly reflected it. And so that was in our minds phase one of the, you know how this crisis is unfolding. After which we had unprecedented stimulus uh, provided by the government as well the Congress as well as uh, the Federal Reserve, and that uh, you know extent of the stimulus has really pushed up the markets to where you described it to be. Along with this support is language from the Federal Reserve Chairman Powell, who said the consumers, you know, are victims here. They did not cause these, the losses that they have suffered, and we will make them whole. And I quote him when I say that, we will make them whole. And so the Fed and Congress have given themselves a license now to unleash these unprecedented measures, which uh, they would not have been able to if this were a garden variety recession, which we were amply due for after 11 years of expansion. So, exactly. so we just needed. And I know a, that you were positioned, yeah. correct? We were positioned for it, and our CEO James McDonald had been beating the drum for most since November of last year, all the way through an interview he had with Bloomberg, uh, where he talked about specifically going all in to the UVXY, which is an instrument that is provides one and a half times leverage on the VIX index. And at that time, uh, the UVXY was trading very close to a single digit handle, you know, in the low 11s or so, close to 10 at times. And so we legged into that trade. And, you know, we obviously did not predict uh, the coronavirus uh, crisis. But it was it was the exogenous. Yes, but we knew. Yeah, we knew that a recession was imminent because of loosening of lending standards across the board, the use of leverage. Uh, and the pervasiveness of instruments like collateralized loan obligations and so on and so forth. So signs were like strewn around. Let me hop in and break this down a little bit. The unprecedented move by the Fed making the investor whole. Yes. Let's take the muni market, for example. Sure. So for the first time ever, the Fed has said, you know, we will be there. Yes. How do you in- in- interpret this? Are we actually going to see deep purchases in the muni market and the high yield market and elsewhere, or just the jawboning, the threat of? Well, with the muni market, uh, the Fed has opened a facility to allow for townships, counties, and municipalities to tap into a 500 billion program and the 500 billion program a lending, a lending facility yeah correct? yeah uh, it's a lending so facility that, it'll buy short-term so notes uh directly from so you can yeah i'm sorry so, so you can issue directly fed there. yes uh, and is it the is it your feeling that the access to that facility removes the pressure or the fear factor from the muni market a little bit and, and that's their intent they're not actually buying 
existing so, securities? Uh, up to this point, let's take, for example, the corporate bond market. Uh, they have the Fed has not bought any corporate securities to date, but just uh, their stepping into the market has made a night and day of difference in keeping the bond markets open for business and for transactions to happen. So in corporate space, they have said that they'll uh, the Fed will buy in the secondary market as well as facilitate primary issuance by buying directly into new issues. And they've also said they would buy high yield uh, and ETFs in high yield. So this is unprecedented. And in muni space, I'm not sure exactly if any transactions have taken place. Yeah. But and, and we could we could have picked any sector. Yeah. I just used that as a example. Yeah. And I think the muni sector will be utilized because these uh, states, counties, townships, they are in need of funds. So... I don't see that as just jawboning. I presume that phase two you would define as the market drop is the unemployment numbers and some of the other you know reality checks kick yes. in. The Fed may be there to scoop things up at yeah. the bottom, but it, it won't stop the fall. So if that's the case, I, I want to kind of turn this uh, discussion sideways. Yeah. You spoke of unprecedented, and while I've never considered Warren Buffett to be, you know, my guru. I do think that he's praiseworthy and been around a long time. And, you know, clearly swings a very large stick. I don't know if you heard, but his meeting over the weekend yes. sounded different to me for the first time, where he leaned a little bit on what I'll call uh, behavioral economics, uh -huh. right? I can't figure out exactly what's going on. I don't know what consumer behavior is going to look like. Do you agree with that? And if so, maybe weave that into the discussion of how you look at it. Yes, we feel the same way. And we certainly feel that nobody has a crystal ball. Nobody knows the answer to how consumers will behave, the workforce will behave, and businesses will behave as a result of individuals and families at the end of the day. Yeah, Warren Buffett is right. So he is hoarding hundreds of billions of dollars, waiting, signaling that there is more of a downside to come. He's sold his airline stocks and people are questioning his timing. But back to its unfolding and how it's unfolding, I described uh, phase one of the downturn, the mass rush to the exits. We described phase two as... Uh, the Fed intervention and the bad earnings data as well as bad economic data fighting each other, stimulus on one hand versus bad data on the other, and that playing through the early part of the summer and leading into phase three where defaults, delinquencies, bankruptcies, defaults start to creep up and rating agencies are certainly reporting an upswing and troubled entities are reportedly now at levels. And now this is early stage, but at levels comparable to the 2008 crisis already. And the big banks have taken large uh, steps in terms of the loan loss reserves in gearing towards a crisis. You know, and they have also, uh, in the real economy, shut down their normal lending channels, like JP Morgan, for instance, has shut down their small and mid-sized business lending channel altogether to direct their resources and manpower towards lending towards the PPP program and the other mid and small size business lending programs through the Fed because they have only up to a 5% 
equity exposure to these loans in case of a default with the Fed eating the other 95% or whatever net of... So meaning through the PPP program, the bank gets a fee for processing the loan. And after it's processed, assuming they check all the boxes in terms of due diligence, they can pass that loan through or sell it off into the capital markets. Or even if they retain it, they have only 5% risk because the Fed is backstopping 95%. Yes, that's that's correct. And so that helps uh, the distressed businesses, but at the cost of lending to healthy businesses, which uh, may need refinancing or fresh funding. That puts a larger group at risk. On the margin, credit is tightening across the board, whether it's with consumers or with businesses, credit is tightening. And uh, that's not a good sign. Essentially, uh, the banks tend to lend to the health during bull uh, cycle, the bull phase of the cycle. And then when the tide turns, um, they have, you know, in such situations, uh, just tighten the belt and they're playing a game of musical chairs, apparently, uh, trying to outdo one another in bracing for what could potentially be another financial crisis if this snowballs. If we don't have a V-shaped recovery, if people don't go back to work, ignoring the risks at hand, then you know, the banks have to basically position for that by, you know, taking uh, preventive measures. Uh, the signs are there. I mean, uh, in April, we had uh, as many as 30% of home homeowners uh, that stopped paying on their mortgages. I know that you have a background in securitized investments and passives yeah. and mortgages. Can you, would you kindly, just a quick rundown of, all right, so what happens uh, to the various tranches as consumers stop paying and or default. Sure. And we have a good experience of this uh, through the 2008 crisis. And what happens is, first and foremost, uh, the services in in this business, uh, basically, once these homeowners stop paying on their mortgages, the services have to make these advances in the shortfall from the consumer to uh, the bondholders if they've been securitized or the loan holders. They can only do it for so long. Uh, The projection, uh, back of the envelope projection is if they have to make advances uh, up to 12 months on 30% of their book, then they go insolvent. So they're first in line to get hit and hit early while the consumer is still delinquent. The consumer hasn't uh, gone bankrupt and yet uh, these services services are insolvent. And so Treasury Secretary Mnuchin has set up a task force to address what should be done in helping services. Next, when uh, these loans go into uh, default, Uh, Then, of course, a write-down has to take place. And in case of securities, and he said tranches, in terms of structured securities, the lowest tranches typically uh, uh, tend to have their, uh, they tend to have, you know, anywhere from one and a half to two percent of collateralization under them to protect them out of 100 percent. What I wanted to ask you about that is people tend to leverage these up, correct? And that's where some of the spiral comes from? 
So in 2008, uh, you know, these securities that were levered in and of themselves uh, were put into collateralized debt obligations, which provided another layer of uh, leverage. And of course, homeowners and putting in just up to, you know, 20% equity and even as less as 5% uh, are leveraged uh, because they have, you know, uh, they're forwarding only a portion of uh, the, you know, principal, the balance of the house. Yeah, right, so right. Uh, there, there are many layers of leverage. And so when credit tightens and there's leverage in the system, uh, the system is exposed to write-ups and, yeah, so, so, insolvency. I've seen data, uh, recent data that suggests, not suggest, it's, it's, it's real, that corporations have drawn down on their credit lines yes. massively in March and April. Essentially, my view, and I'm sure you agree, is that's a race. You know, let's draw down on it for security or insurance policy before uh-huh. the banks shut it yes. down. That's a natural uh, human reaction as we speak of, you know, again, behavioral economics. Let me ask you, so phase three in your scenario then is... Phase three is if the markets haven't corrected again and headed to... Uh, the level they reached in March and even below that, because of this Fed support, uh, you know, they're, the market's able to fight off bad earnings and bad economic data. Then uh, rising defaults will provide the real picture of the economy, especially when it gets to the point where banks and the financial system are at risk again. Obviously, the Fed, Congress will step in well before then. But the projection at this time, especially by Wall Street, is that of a V-shaped recovery and uh, growth in the third quarter. And uh, it's not factoring in any uh, earnings hits beyond Q2. So when guidance from companies come in that maybe Q2 three won't be looking so good, then uh, it'll start to look more like a U-shaped recovery than a V-shaped recovery. And that'll add to, uh, you know, the concern caused by rising defaults. So I think that's when uh, reality will start to head in. Right now, the uh, psychology is one of hope because we'll soon have lockouts lifted and there's hope that everything will get back to normal and business will get back to business as usual. And when uh, that's set, uh, set along with reality in like a few weeks' time, maybe three or four weeks or two weeks into the lifting of lockdowns, then we'll see if there are uh, flare-ups locally and regionally uh, with the virus, right. uh, whether there are rolling lockdowns, which ex-FDA head uh, Gottlieb has talked about, and uh, Fauci, uh, Dr. Fauci has also talked about. If their projections come true, then that'll have to be uh, combined with this hopeful outlook to come up with a more realistic outlook. As we bring our discussion to a close, there's a final uh, broad point of a couple elements that I'll throw out there, and then uh, we'll bring it to a close. And with your permission, I'll check in with you the next time there's a big move in the markets and we'll update uh-huh. things. But for now, if we accept the scenario that says look, there's a lot of money that's coming to the market and for now prices are up, 
and got to go somewhere. And we just, there's hope along with it. So the market's up. But I know that your firm has done a fair amount of academic research. And I believe there are six, if I'm correct, including the Great Depression, six scenarios where you had this sort of W or the, the down, up, down. That's right. Scenario. And yes, Great Depression. None of us have been around. We all have, hopefully, uh, grandparents that can tell stories that are still around to tell the stories. But, you know, you had folks that changed an entire generation or two. People became savers. Savings rates went up. Large unemployment and yes. really pain. In the U.S., we haven't really experienced this, even, even in 2008. As you look forward a little bit, if this scenario plays out and we run with 15, 20 percent unemployment, or even mm-hmm. if it drops back to 10, that's still mm-hmm. triple where we were a year ago. What do you think happens to the, the psychology and, and prices of, of assets, uh, equities, housing market, however you want to take this? Let's, let's finish off the discussion on this. Yeah, let's go back to psychology uh, that you talked about when you referenced uh, Warren Buffett. You're right that uh, when an event like this happens that lingers around and doesn't quite exit and it continues to create an element of fear in everyone's minds, then there will be inefficiencies introduced into the economy and the market. As a result, businesses uh, will suffer at the end of the day. One would hope that uh, you know this goes away, all things considered, if you hear you know the experts talk about this uh, indications are that people will be saving more people will be more defensive we've had a good run in the economy largely driven through financialization everything has run very efficiently and uh, that will change i've seen some articles that talk about how uh, you know airline travel will change and how seats could be uh, could have shields you know or if you go to a uh, counter at McDonald's there'll be shields everywhere yeah. uh, you know protecting customers and so if inefficiencies are introduced then there's a cost to it uh, it'll reflect on the economy you know 2008 created a shift in trend growth in the U.S. and globally, there's a very great chance that this global crisis creates another shift in trend growth. Pre-2008, we used to have like a, uh, like 3 3.5% GDP growth on average, uh, which changed to 2% post-crisis. Now it's left to be seen what average GDP growth uh, we end up with uh, going forward. I like to yeah, say me that too. I hope that I'm wrong. Yeah. And uh, finally, uh, you know, Kaushik, thank you very much. You've yeah, been my very pleasure. Generous with your time, Kaushik Saha with Hercules Investment of Los Angeles. I look forward to speaking with you over the yes. Mid-term thanks very much. To see where things go. Thanks for the opportunity. So we finish reviewing the input of Hercules Investment, Warren Buffett, Larry Fink. Sam Zell. Now my opinion. I believe the market is underpricing the risk. And I suspect we're in for some very difficult times in terms of employment and the structural adjustments. A little bit of advice I'll offer is for any business or individual that has credit lines, whether they be 
low interest credit cards or really what I'm talking about are credit lines, home equity lines of credit or standard business credit lines. I would recommend that you consider drawing those lines down and banking the cash, assuming the interest rates are low, banking the cash as an insurance policy. I would expect that as we move forward, credit tightens and lines will be cut and you will no longer have access. Just a thought. I'm going to end on the words of the Dalai Lama, who I would not typically invoke, yet the scope of the crisis that we're facing in the U.S. and globally can only benefit from the warm words and the pure heart of His Holiness. So there's some hope. But in any way, you see, uh, uh, it is better remain with hope. And meantime, uh, better prepare for worst. <laughs>